Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message. This morning, we're going to continue in this mini-series that we've been on, talking about who we are and what it is that we're going after as a church. Last week, we looked at Hebrews chapter 11, and we started in verse 1, of course, which shows us the value, the significance, and, and really the definition of what faith is. For faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. And we talked about what it looks like to walk in faith. To walk in faith, to believe the truth of what God has said. And we said that when we look at faith, we have to understand that faith looks like something. That faith is not just meant to be a spiritual practice. It is meant to have a result and a tangible effect on the world around us. We looked at the life of Abraham and Sarah. We looked at Noah. We looked at a few other individuals who walked in such great faith that they saw the power of God come through their lives from what was impossible to what was possible. And we said that we want to be a church that is continually moving forward into the faith of what God is calling us into. We also spoke about our identity as a a church. We looked at the life of Abraham and Sarah once again of Isaac, and of even Paul, who was once Saul. And we said that there are times where God calls us forward in faith, and he speaks to our very identity, and he brings a change in in our identity and how we see ourselves. Not that his plan has changed for us, but that we need to be able to see and to walk in the reality of what he's calling us into. Today, I want to continue to look at who we are as a church. I want to look at our values and what we hold dear. The very things that we look at to be our guidelines, our guardrails, the the things that we choose to adhere to because we believe in where God is bringing us as a congregation and as a body of believers. And so we looked at one through three a couple of weeks ago. Number one, if you're looking in your notes, you can see that we are a generational body of believers. Number two, we believe deeply in the importance of knowing our identity in Christ. And number three, we know that there is power in the gospel of transformation. And as we were looking at these, we were using Hebrews chapter 12 too as our text, and we're going to do that in beginning again today. Hebrews chapter 12 too, which starts with fixing our eyes on Jesus. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It's in this place of fixing our eyes on Jesus that we begin to see with greater clarity who we are and who God has called us to be. It's in this place of fixing our eyes on Jesus, on the life of Jesus, on who he was when he walked on this earth as a man, on his words that he spoke, and then continuing to fix our eyes on Jesus in our lives today as we go through circumstances and situations, as we realize that we are not meant to walk through this life alone, but that we are able to set our eyes on one that has gone before us 
who has paid the price, who has made it possible to walk in a, a restored relationship with God himself. You see, this is what it is to fix our eyes on Jesus. And the more that we do this, the more that we begin to see who we are and also who those around us, who they really are. We start to see their true identity as well. So I want you to keep that in mind today as we begin looking at our next set of values, starting in number four, because the way that we see ourselves and the way that we see others really matters. Value number four says that we have a value for creating a culture of empowerment. We desire to create a culture where believers are being empowered in their giftings, both spiritually and practically. We believe that those who come into this church are meant to be empowered in the gifts that God has put on your lives. We say this a lot. You have something on your life that somebody else needs. There is something that God has spoken over you, something he has invested in you, that you are meant to bring to the body so that we can walk together in unity to where he's bringing us. I have a little bit of agreement this morning. I remember when I was 15 years old, and I was a pretty ordinary 15-year-old, I would say. I don't know of too many people who knew me at 15 in, in this room besides Christian. He wouldn't speak very highly of me probably at that time as a big brother. I was a young man, though, who knew who I was in God because I had grown up in a healthy family, in a church. I, I knew that my relationship with God was, was so important to me. But if I'm honest here today, there were some things that I was distracted by. There were some things that I was looking at that my friends were doing and that they were engaged in that I thought, well, that looks like some fun. I wonder what it's like to take part in some of the things that they're taking part in. And, and there are some decisions that I made at that point in my life that weren't ones that I was proud of. But even in the midst of that season of life, I had those around me who were willing to see something in me beyond what I saw in myself. I had one person in particular, and it wasn't just my mom, who, who knows your mom will generally see the best in you. I heard it joked about one time, that your mom will see the best of you, that even if you are a drug dealer, she'll just say that you're studying to be a pharmacist. <laughs> like your mom, your grandma, there are people in our lives that should see the best in us even when we're not walking it out. And there is this individual who was my pastor at the time who saw something in me and actually gave me an opportunity that I don't really think I deserve. At 15 years old, she gave me the ability to speak to our entire church on a Wednesday night in the service. Now, I remember a little bit about the message. I think it was probably pretty terrible. That's not the point of this, though. It's that in doing so, in giving me that opportunity, I started to see something in me and something in what God wanted me to do that I hadn't looked at before. I started to see a desire and a hunger to step into ministry. And while it would be a few years, not very many, before I would start to lead in youth group and start to actually see this come to life, it all started with that one person being willing to see something deeper than, than what I was experiencing at that moment. You see, I was experiencing conflict, but they were seeing something that was greater because they were seeing through the eyes of God. 
When we talk about being a church of empowerment, we're saying that we want to be those who would not view people through the lens of our own understanding, but that we would choose to look at them with the eyes of Jesus. That as we fix our eyes on Jesus, we begin to see who we really are, but once again, we begin to see with greater clarity who those around us really are. When we looked at the life of Jesus a couple of weeks ago, we said that when he called out the disciples, he was speaking not just to common men, but the commonest of the common men. The fishermen of the day, the, the tax collectors, those who had not been selected by a rabbi to follow in a spiritual pursuit. They were those that had gone into regular, ordinary jobs, and they wouldn't have been looked upon with great admiration by anybody. But Jesus, he looked and he saw something bigger in them. He saw something greater in them. He saw something, and it must have been pretty great, because remember, this is Jesus we're talking about. He knew that some of these men would be the very ones who would fall asleep in some of the most important and critical times in his ministry when he asked them to stay up and pray. Those who would have their own dysfunction, who would be fighting amongst each other, trying to figure out who is the greatest. The ones who would try to call down fire from heaven because somebody upset them to consume a whole city. Those who would eventually deny him and betray him at the moment of going into the crucifixion. And yet Jesus still called them. He still saw them. He he empowered them and he created an opportunity for them to step into a greater reality than they ever could have on their own. You see, when we fix our eyes on Jesus, we see how he sees people, and we see that he took men and women that had no business being involved in ministry or pursuit of God, and he brought them to a place of carrying the gospel for generations to come. It's only what Jesus can do. And so we see this in the life of the 12 disciples. We see this in the life of the 72 that he sends out and he empowers to actually bring healing and transformation, to cast out demons. But we see it in other areas as well. Luke chapter 7, verses 36 and 39 is a passage that we've looked at a couple of times in the last couple of weeks, but I want to read from it again. So if you have your Bibles with you, if you would just turn to Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 39. I say this so that you'd bring your Bibles, because I think it's important. Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 39. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house, and he took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Verse 39, and this is really what I I want us to focus in on here this morning. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who And what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Do you see the mindset of the Pharisee in looking at her? 
Do you see the thoughts that are going on inside of him? If Jesus really knew who this was, he would never allow her to do that. But the truth is, is that Jesus knew exactly who she was. That Jesus didn't just know who she was and how everybody else would have saw her. Apparently he didn't care. He looked beyond the natural to see who she was and who God had spoken her identity to be. He spoke beyond the physical shortcomings and the failures in her life up to that point, and he began to make room for her true identity to come to the surface. See, the Pharisee said, if this man were a prophet, it's because in his own heart and his own judgment, he had already decided who she was, what she deserved, and what the outcome of her life was going to be. He, through his judgment, and probably would have been looked at as discernment, decided she's never going to amount to anything. But not Jesus. Not the one who gave her the empowerment to become who she really was. You see, in verse 48, he forgives her sins. And then in verse 50, he tells her to go in peace. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I think this word peace might be lost on us a little bit, though, when we look at it in the context of this story. You see, peace, we know peace. It means to go and to, to not be in a place of turmoil, and that's significant. But when we look at this word peace, it means one or wholeness. It means peace of mind. It means quietness and rest. Jesus said, I know who you've been. I know what your, your sins have been. However, I want you to go in wholeness. I want you to go in a sound mind. I want you to go not thinking about who you used to be, but walking in the identity of who I have empowered you to be. See, this word peace was significant, but I continued to read this word peace and wanted to have a greater understanding of it. And when I read Strong's concordance their definition of this word it says a state of tranquility an exemption from the rage and the havoc of war what if our empowerment of people around us looked the same way to to us as it did to jesus what if instead of judgment of what we see in the natural the assumption of what we know to be true about the past the thoughts that we have about this one or that one when we see them come in or when we see them leave, that instead we began to see as Jesus saw. That we would know that we have the ability to bring others into a state of peace where they may have been in a place of rage and turmoil with an internal battle that has been going on within them. What if we recognize the gift that we have to bring to those around us? What about from that place of healing if we understood that we are able to gather men and women from our communities who have been cast out, who have been rejected, who have felt like they have been in a battle, who have felt the inner turmoil going on inside of them, knowing that maybe God loves them, but knowing all of their, their failures and their shortcomings and the places of pain, the places of hurt. What if we brought them peace instead of judgment? What if we recognize that sometimes that battle going on inside of them is a battle with God? 
at least from their standpoint? What if all that they've ever encountered up to this point has been the spirit of religion that would judge them and condemn them? But that we have the ability to bring them into a place of greater freedom and understanding in who they really are. I'll never forget a couple of years ago, I was working at a construction site in Middletown. And I had an opportunity to share with one of the individuals I was working with. You could tell he had been through a lot. He seemed broken. And the more that he would speak about things, the more that he would share his life, you would just hear the brokenness. You would hear the condemnation that he had felt, the, the shame that he carried with him. But in that place of sometimes just me and him working alone, I was able to, to begin to share with him. I was able to begin to speak to him about who Jesus really was. Not the Jesus he had experienced before. Not the religious background that he had come out of. But the truth of who Jesus was. And I started to little bit by little bit begin to see the freedom that he began to walk in. Until the one day where I stood with him in the middle of a field. And I prayed for him. And he accepted Jesus into his heart. It wasn't something that he would have been accepting of at day one. But the more he began to see and to feel the love of Jesus, the more he began to accept who Jesus saw him to be. It was at that point that he was able to accept that relationship with Jesus. You see, this is who we are meant to be and who we're meant to walk in. We need to be those who walk in the peace and freedom of who we are. We need to be those who know what it is to come before Jesus and to know our identity in Him. And then we need to bring it to others. I want to just look at a couple of verses here today, and and it's kind of a detour, but it really is important. So just stick with me here today. These are a couple of verses I just wanted to read today because they really speak to who we are, but sometimes, I don't know about you, I need a reminder of these things. So Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. How powerful are those words? That Christ who lives inside of me. Christ who lives inside of me gives me my new identity. And the life I now live in the flesh, in the imperfect part of who I am, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Why is it so important that Paul put in this word that he loved me? It's out of that place of love that we are able to experience the acceptance that comes from the Savior who gave everything for me. It's out of that place of love and understanding who I am that I start to recognize that Christ lives inside of me. That my flesh, that everything that I am, begins to be transformed by the truth of who He is and what He's done for me. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells inside of you? Do you not know that you are carrying the Holy Spirit? The reality of the truth of who God is? That this is the freedom that we carry and the freedom that we are meant to bring to others? Romans chapter 8 verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, 
He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. We are carriers of the Holy Spirit. We are carriers of a new reality. We cannot go into any situation not understanding and recognizing who we are because of who we carry. We are vehicles for transformation through Jesus Christ. We are the ones who carry the goodness of God inside of us. I don't understand it any more that you do, that Jesus would choose us as imperfect human beings to carry his glory and his identity to the world around us. But he does. And he did. And he will continue to. If we're going to be those who would transform the world around us and empower the world around us, we have to understand what we carry. We have to understand who we are. You see, when we begin to realize this, it has to change our current realities. We have to recognize what this means for us. So in our church, whether it's serving in ministry, whether it's being a part of a small group, whether it's uh, joining in in the food pantry or helping in a various ministry or whatever it is, you have something that you can bring to the table. And even if you don't recognize the gifts inside of you, can you recognize that when Jesus is living inside of you, you have the best gift to give of any gift that has ever been given? We want to be in church, a church, who empowers every person who walks in this door to know their identity in Jesus, to accept him into their hearts, and to walk out what it means to carry the Spirit of God, to carry Jesus himself. This is is what we're going after. This leads me to value number five, which is that we know the power of community we are a multicultural church who desires to do life together we support one another through the various stages of life so what does it look like to walk in empowerment in our community and what does the life of jesus show us about what it means to empower those around us to me one of the most significant elements of the life of Jesus is that when it came to community, he was very intentional about it. We know that Jesus walked on the earth for how many years? 33, right? We call the last three years of his walk on earth his ministry. So if you think about this for a second, the Son of God, the Word made flesh, The one who created everything came to this earth in the flesh and he only came here for 33 years and only three of those years was spent in ministry. Who thinks that if he was only here for three years that he knew every moment mattered? God in the flesh on earth, right? Every decision that he would have made for those three years really would have mattered. And so when we look at the people that he chose to spend his time with, we have to realize that there's significance in this. So when we talk about who Jesus spent his time with, we often say, well, it wasn't the who's who of the day. It wasn't the, the special religious people. It wasn't the influential ones. That's very true. We talked about his time with the disciples. But I have to ask the question, who did he spend his time with? And we have two 
verses that I want to look at here today that might give us a little bit of insight into this. The first one is found in Matthew chapter 11, verse 19. This is speaking to the religious leaders, and he says, you know, John came, and he didn't associate with any of these people, and you said these things about him. But he said in verse 19, the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. So at least some of Jesus' time was spent with the tax collectors, collectors and the drunkards, right, the sinners. At least some of his time was spent in this community, and I think that's significant. The second verse, though, that I want to look at is the next chapter, Matthew chapter, chapter 12, verses 46 and 50. Verse 46 says, While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak with him. Someone told him, Your mother and your brothers are outside waiting, and he replied to them, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my mother, my brother, and my sister, and my mother. So we have two different categories here, right? We have the tax collectors and the sinners, and we have those who would do the will of the Father. These would seem to be two different groups of people, right? Yes? The first group would be those who were in pursuit of their own desires, their own pursuits, their own passions. The second would be those who were in pursuit of God. But when we look at the the life of Jesus, we see that, yes, they were very different, at least in their starting point, but not in their ending point. You see, Jesus, the friend of sinners, was doing life with those who seemed far away from God and those who were in pursuit of their own desires. But in doing so, what was he doing? What was he doing in the time that he spent with the tax collectors and the sinners? He was doing life together with them, and he was desiring to bring them into a place of greater identity, of greater understanding, of greater pursuit in God, so that they would become the very ones who would pursue the will of his Father in heaven. They they might have been over here to start with, those who were far away from God. But there was something about spending the time with Jesus in community that began to transform their lives from what they used to be into who God had made them to be. I say all this to say that there is power in community. There is power in doing life together. There is power in walking together in pursuit of the same things. And not just limiting it to those who do life perfectly. Not just choosing to only spend time with the people who have it all together. I know I'm speaking to the choir here today. But it's important for us to understand this. That in our very relationships, in our ability to walk with the people around us, we have the ability to bring them into the true identity of who God has made them to be. See, life in community does mean doing life together, supporting one another, loving one another, grieving with one another. It means that if you are suffering, that you don't have to feel alone. That if you're going through something, you don't have to do it on an island. This is one of Pastor Jeff's favorite things that we ever talk about in staff meetings. Well, I'll tell you, there's two things that Pastor Jeff likes to talk about. 
It's not a baseball reference. He's not here. It's no fun to pick on him when he's not here. There are two things that he really cares about, and I won't tell this in the second service. He cares about the 9 a.m. service. In every decision we make, what about the 9 a.m. service? So I never forget about the 9 a.m. service. I love the 9 a.m. service. They're the ones that wake up early to get here, to be here. Sometimes you get my best messages, I'm going to be honest. But he cares about the 9 a.m. service, and he cares about this statement, that no one is meant to suffer on their own. That we are meant to do life together. This is why his bereavement group is so important. This is why he leads our community care group. Because he believes that we need to be creating a culture and environment and those who would go out and to serve those who are in need of love and acceptance and community. This is so important to our church. It's, it's not just in those areas. It's in the food pantry. It's in our overcomers outreach. It's in every ministry of this church and those that we are going to continue to develop because God wants to use us and this community to be able to reach out to people, to grab a hold of them, to love them into their true identities. This also means, though, in walking in community, That we are called to love each other, walk with each other, but it also means that we're called to hold each other accountable. It means that we are called to walk together and to realize that there is a standard that Jesus has set for us. That there is truth, that there is right, and there is wrong. I don't know about you, and I don't really know that I can apply this to my family. In fact, I'm not going to, but sometimes in families what I've witnessed is that there are people in our family that maybe live in dysfunction and we kind of just excuse it. Like, don't worry, that's just uncle so-and-so. He just says those things when he has a little bit too much to drink or he just, you know, he just does those things. Don't worry about him. It's not a big deal. Or don't worry about her. She just, she gets angry sometimes and she says things she doesn't mean. It's not really a big deal, right? And we kind of just allow these things to exist because it's easier not to confront or to deal with, or maybe we've tried in the past and it just hasn't worked. This isn't meant to be the church. We're not meant to be the ones who just allow dysfunction to occur and to to happen time after time after time and never deal with it. Now, in everything we do, it has to be in love. In everything we do, it has to be with the understanding of what we just spoke about, that we are bringing people from one identity into their God-given identity. But who knows, there are times where we need to talk with one another. There's a biblical precedent for this, in case you just think I'm talking about this just for fun. Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone, if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. This is Jesus speaking. There are times we have to talk with one another. There are times where the most loving thing that we could do is to speak with one another. To not just allow things to build and to build resentment and and to fester inside of us but to go and to talk with one another. Proverbs chapter 27, verses 5 and 6 says, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. 
1 Corinthians 13 is something we should always keep in mind in this place because we understand what it means to do this out of love. That love is patient, that it's kind, that it's long-suffering, that it doesn't seek its own, but it seeks the benefit and the welfare of others. But who knows, at times we do have to speak with one another. I wanted to spend a little bit longer on this part here today, but I I did just want to touch on this other part that sometimes brings division in community. It's this topic of gossip. It's this topic that sometimes we call discernment because we want to speak about things, but in truth, it's just because we we want to hear the latest dirt, if you will. The tea for the younger generation. Sometimes I feel like I'm not part of it at all, to be honest. I'm not, it's okay. You know, I'm somebody who likes to hear it straight. I, I, I like to be told what's going on. And I know we have different personalities and, and different ways of doing things. And somebody I was talking to recently who I love, and, and I think she was absolutely right in this, said, you know, gossip is always going to occur in the church because there's people. And sometimes that's, that's what happens. But I, I do think that there is a certain point where we have to recognize that the things that we tolerate are the things that we empower. The things that we allow to continue to happen around us without speaking to or shutting down are the things that actually become unknowingly a part of our community and our culture. And there was this verse that I was reading once again in Proverbs chapter 26, verse 20. First, I'll start with James chapter 3. He speaks about the power of the tongue. And how sometimes the tongue can't be controlled. Like it's it's like a fire that starts more fires and it builds and it grows. Who can control it? But then Solomon says in Proverbs chapter 26, verse 20, Without wood, a fire goes out. And without a gossip, a quarrel dies down. Can we be those who would be willing to not discuss things that we should not be discussing unless it's with the person that it should be discussed with? Can we be those who would shut down some of the other chatter? Pastor Dave spoke this message Uh, I think last year at this point, called the little foxes. Sometimes it's just the little foxes that spoil the vine. It's the little things that grow and get bigger that have the ability to shape our community. It's so important because I've seen what division can do in a church. I've seen churches split. I've seen families ruined, people walking away from God. And so often it just doesn't need to be. We need to be those who would remove the foothold of the enemy and to only speak truth and when it's appropriate. You know, we're not always going to agree. I know this is a newsflash. We're not always going to have the same opinions about everything. I recognize that there are things that I'm going to say at times that are not going to make everybody happy. I have to be accountable for that. But I do realize sometimes that just by the virtue of speaking truth in a world that is very opposed to truth, that it's going to push on things sometimes. There are going to be times that I'm going to speak about things out of love, but also out of truth that are not always going to be the things that we want to hear, that the world around us is going to want to hear. There are going to be times where there are sensitive issues going on in the world around us, political matters that need to be discussed. There are going to be times where we talk about things that really matter, but I want to know, can we be a mature body who would continue to walk together in love even when we don't fully agree on everything that we're talking about. 
Can we be a community that shows the world around us what it is to walk in love and relationship and empowerment for one another? You see, we owe it to the world around us. We owe it to those who have gone before us. We owe it to the community around us that has only seen division and hurt and and tempers that have flared and, and splits that have occurred. We owe it to the world to be able to speak about things, to walk in love, to walk in truth, and to do it together. We have to be the ones that build a community that can function in love even in the difficult times. To follow his leading, those who he has entrusted to lead, even when it hurts a little bit. We owe it not just to who have gone before us. We talked about that last week, honoring the past, equipping the present, empowering the future. We don't just owe it to the past or the present, but we owe it to the future. You see, this is our final value that we're going to look at here today. We feel or we know that we have a responsibility to future generations. We desire to empower future generations through education as well as equipping them to influence the world. We need to build an empowering community that is meant to produce something. I'll go back to this again. Faith looks like something. Walking in faith, walking in obedience is meant to have a tangible effect on the world around us, not just for now, but for what is to come. In Luke chapter 4, verse 43, Jesus said, This is my purpose. I must preach the gospel of the good news of the kingdom to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. You see, this is specific to me once again because Jesus had a limited amount of time here on earth. He was only here for those three years of ministry at the end of his life that he was actually speaking about these things. And when he appeared on the scene, we know that the Jewish people expected something. They expected him to overthrow the Roman Empire and to reestablish the kingdom of Israel. But that's not what he came to do, was it? He came to overthrow a kingdom. He came to empower a people, but it wasn't in the way that they expected. And even after his resurrection, we read in Acts 1 that they're asking him, Jesus, when are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? They were still waiting for this physical kingdom to occur, but Jesus was establishing a kingdom that would transcend this earthly reality. He was, he was developing an idea, a mindset about what the truth of the kingdom of God was, not just for that moment in time, but for all who would come after. He wasn't just speaking to that generation. He was speaking to the generations to come. You see, Jesus had a strong value for the next generation. His whole life on earth was to prepare the future generations to continue to carry the kingdom of God to every person who would listen. Mark chapter 16, verse 15 says, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. See, Jesus was looking beyond what was at that moment. 